This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Republican presidential candidate, former VP Mike Pence, will answer your questions tonight in News Nation's exclusive town hall. Give you a quick live look at the studio, where it will happen. We'll be asking about the topics that matter to you, the economy, education, the border. The live town hall being hosted by Leland Vittert here at our Chicago headquarters. It all kicks off at 9 Eastern. I'm Nicole Burley. I thank you so much for watching. Now the important headlines out of Washington. The Hill, hosted by Blake Berman, starts right now. There is a brand new whistleblower complaint, and it deals with the origins of COVID. Among the questions, were payments made to stifle dissent within the CIA? Coming up, the congressman who has major questions will speak with him live. Plus, President Biden should not run again in 2024. That was the lead editorial in today's Washington Post, and it did not come from just anyone. We'll get into the headline and the thinking along with this. An email from the White House to reporters this morning, why they are putting the onus on us and demanding the media do a better job. And Elon in the halls of the Capitol, why the world's wealthiest man was addressing members of Congress today and why he says civilization is at stake. The Hill on News Nation starts now. Once again, thanks for being with us here on The Hill on News Nation. I'm Blake Berman, joined by a great panel today. Kurt Bardella is a Democratic strategist and former GOP House Oversight Committee advisor. Morgan Ortegas, the former State Department spokesperson during the Trump administration. Mick Mulvaney, the former White House Chief of Staff to Donald Trump and News Nation political and economic contributor. And Johanna Mosca, former Obama administration official and News Nation contributor. Power panel here. Hello to you all. Good to have you in. So when we, we talk about what's going on in this country, this election, of course, issue number one, issue number 1A, the economy and inflation, right? We, we see this with every single poll. want to present two tales for you as we start off uh, the show. President Biden, here he was today as there was a new inflation print, which basically showed that inflation is still here and sticky. The president, quote, core inflation has fallen to 2.4% over the last three months, the lowest level in over two years. But despite the drop, I know families are feeling last month's increase in gas prices. And here was the president's chief economic advisor just a little while ago. Turning to Bidenomics, we start from a position of strength. The U.S. economy is in solid shape. We must build on the progress we've made. Economy in solid shape, build on the progress we've made. Now this, the Washington Post. Adults are ordering from kids' menus to save money, should they? Cites an analyst, quote, Consumers are changing their behaviors, frequency of visits is down, and they're moderating what they do when they go out. Is that Bidenomics, folks? Johanna? Well, Blake, you and I were talking about having kids, and we (laughs) go all around the world, and it seems like we eat the finest chicken tenders around. So I'm not surprised people are ordering off the kids' menu. Um, People are hurting 
That's the truth. In this country, they're hurting. The White House is comparing them globally to the numbers, and the U.S. is doing better globally. Inflation is a global issue that we're all dealing with. I don't think that's going to matter, but the alternative to Biden is what matters. And if the Republicans give a solid alternative to Biden, then there's a hope. But if it's Trump, I'm not, a, I'm not so sure. I don't pay a lot of attention to the thing about ordering the kids' meals because I'm old enough to do that because the portions are smaller. Right. Um, <laughs> that's, so. that, that's clearly part of it, but the other is saving the money, too. But what and you just saw was one of the things I hated when I was at OMB, I hated when I was in the White House, was this, I, this focus on core inflation. It makes complete sense to economists, complete sense to geeks like myself, mm-hmm. and it's a complete disconnect with ordinary Americans. What it is is essentially inflation without energy and food as if people don't buy energy and food. And every time people back home say, well, they say that uh, Washington says things are good because core inflation is down, they're going, but it's still very expensive for me to buy what I buy. It just reinforces that disconnect between Washington and Oregon. In a good America. place, Jared yeah. Bernstein says. Yeah, when you're filling up your car at the gas tank, right, you're not thinking about core inflation. You're thinking about what the number is. And the, and the truth is there's a lot of families uh, that are making trade-off decisions. Do they go into the grocery store and get a full cart of groceries or do they fill that gas tank up? I mean, those are, those are real trade trade-off decisions that they're making. You know, what I think, I'll be really interested in in this, Mick, for 24, because in 22, as Republicans, we were so confident on the economic message that we thought that was going to bring the big red wave, and it didn't happen. And so as as gas prices start to increase, and you said at the beginning, so much of this is about the economy, but will it be? I don't know. It it didn't take us on that big red wave that we thought it would. You're talking about because of abortion and and what ended up happening at the ballot. Well, and and age and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Right now, the one thing that Republicans should be talking about in unison is the economy. But what are we really talking about this week? We're talking about impeaching Joe Biden. That's not going to help them win in 2024. I don't understand why, when they have the economics in their favor, when the president clearly has a vocabulary problem with talking about the economy, because no voter knows what core inflation is and no voter cares. That's not going to make them feel better about paying more for That's why I don't understand why they go up with their, look, they're trying to name it Bidenomics and put a name to it and a theme to it. And they're, you know, I don't understand, Mick, why they go up there with the charts and they explain and they try to talk about real wages and this and that. At the end of the day, when you see headlines like that, adults are ordering from the kids' menus to save money, yeah. right? Like, that's the real world out there right now. Yeah, I think they're learning a lesson from one of the mistakes we made in 2018. Okay, we, we wanted to talk about health care, but we didn't know how to talk about health care, so we didn't talk about health care, and we got waxed in the midterms. I think the Democrats are looking at it now and said, look, we're going to have to talk about the economy because if we ignore it, it's going to crush us. So they're doing the only thing they can, which is to try and put as good a spin on it as possible. I'll tell you, the word Bidenomics, though, will be about as helpful to Democrats in 24 as the word Obamacare was to, to the White House in 2010. I mean, we'll I say, know. you don't know what the economy is going to be in 2024. Yeah. I don't know. No one knows. The White House doesn't know. But I still believe, though, at the end of the day, it's going to be about the economy, stupid. It just is. Right. Yes, abortion. Always. Is that might have but been an outlier, but it's always safe to assume the economy is I don't know that it's an outlier. I think Trump is such a negative factor for the Republicans that until they cut themselves from that, it's going to be tough. All right. Well, meantime, the economy, of course, not the only worry for Americans right now. President Biden's age and fitness to serve potentially as president once again remain a top concern. A top columnist close to the White House is now urging the president not to run again in 2024. The Washington Post op-ed written by David Ignatius today calling for the president to drop out of the race. Ignatius writing in part, quote, Biden has another chance to say no to himself this time by withdrawing from the 2024 race. It might not be in character for Biden, but it would be a wise choice for the country. This was quite the message. I mean, this is the Washington Post editorial page from someone who has 
at least the attention of the president. Yeah. And look, I said it to one of my colleagues who is a very senior staffer for President Biden in April. He said, you have one week to make that argument. We're now in September and David Ignatius is trying to make this argument. I don't think they're going to listen. You know, that's the truth. They are prepping a campaign. They've got a campaign apparatus. They're going full steam ahead and they're betting on the Republicans nominating Trump. Uh, there, was, there was an article in The Atlantic a couple of weeks back, and that's we talked about this on the show several several yeah. weeks ago. And if it was starting in The Atlantic, we all said, then it's really going on in a lot more places. For it to percolate up in The Washington Post, with Washington David Post, David. and then uh, Joe Scarborough was on, on TV today saying that every Democrat he knows is also talking about this. And I don't think you need to be in the media or writing for The Washington <laughs> yeah. Post. Every Democrat, I think, period. Uh, is talking it's, about the president. It's the most loveless marriage. Clear, though, that, that President Biden lies on a daily basis. And How maybe so? he That's doesn't. A big claim. It is a big claim. And on a daily basis, like yesterday he said, or maybe it was the day before, he said that he was uh, uh, at 9 11 the day after. And it's it, it very much could be that he's not remembering the stories correctly. But, but I'm sure. Trump, let me finish, please. Okay. I think that if, if there's somebody out here on Twitter who's done this, but if you go through whether it's a purposeful lie or whether he just actually doesn't remember it correctly, whatever it is, there are untrue statements, things that did not happen, like his house burning down, that are said almost every single time he's in front of the media. And Democrats have to stop pretending that he doesn't look like a feeble, old, crazy grandpa. That's what he looks like to the average All right, well, he, here, Mitt Romney. <laughs> Uh, by the way, announced his retirement today, essentially saying he's not going to run for re-election again. And this was what Mitt Romney said just moments ago, going after both Joe Biden and Donald Trump, by the way. Watch. Oh, I think it would be a great thing if both President Biden and former President Trump were to stand aside and let their respective party pick someone in the next generation. Uh, President Trump, excuse me, President Biden, when he was running, said he was a transitional figure to the next generation. Well, time to transition. What do you make of that, Morgan? You know, he's putting his money where his mouth is and, and not running again. Uh, it's it's up to the two of them. But the Democrats' problem is going to be if every time I say, listen, here's how the president, unfortunately, is an untruth every day. And then Joanna uh, and all, all the Democrats do this go, but Trump, too. That is not a winning message. Like, But Morgan, it's for, true. For 2024. It's true, though, right? Because Trump so stood up on that President Biden lies every day. No, I don't, actually. But I, I don't it's, admit it's that he bought and lies every day. But Trump literally stood at the White House podium and told people to drink bleach because of a global pandemic. I mean, there were some significant issues. 2024 is but Trump. You guys go that's ahead what and run that. That's every day. But, but Biden, but yeah, Trump, that's, like, that's problem. like the false equivalency and the gaslighting is Donald Trump told 30,000 lies as president of the United States. All right, so, let's, not so, let's not even pretend for a we, second that whatever Joe Biden has done is in the Nick. galaxy of what President actually, Donald Trump did every single on, day. Nick, no, it's not actually more dangerous. This guy said to drink bleach during a pandemic. Trump's former chief of staff. Trump's former chief of staff. Back to the question you asked, which is about Mitt Romney. I think it's the only thing he can do. I think he's leading by example. He can't sit there and say Trump is too old and not qualified or shouldn't be president, Biden is too old, and then run for re-election when he's going to be 77 years old. I think it's the right thing to do. There is this, the, the, the subtext there that he might have struggled in a Republican primary. Yeah, he wouldn't say, he said, I saw polling numbers and they were strong, I think yeah. was the word he used. Yeah, 52%. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't say exactly what strong is. It's strong 80% talked, or probably, like 50%. We talked yesterday about how to end this cycle, and Mitt Romney has a point. If we just had Biden and Trump step down... Could we end the cycle? Maybe. All right. Maybe. Well, meantime, COVID-19 boosters are back as cases rise. The FDA, as you might know, has approved an updated vaccine to tackle new variants. 
But the federal government still hasn't definitively declared where all of this started. Where did COVID begin? According to the COVID-19 origins report produced by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the CIA was, quote, unable to determine the precise origin. Well, now a whistleblower stepping forward and is bringing serious new allegations. The whistleblower is a senior level CIA officer and says the agency paid six analysts to change their conclusions that COVID-19 started in Wuhan, China, in the lab there. Two congressmen, Brad Wenstrup, Mike Turner, sent a letter to the director, CIA director William Burns, about the whistleblower. That letter says in part, quote, quote, the whistleblower further contends that to come to the eventual public determination of uncertainty, the other six members were given a significant monetary incentive to change their position. Joining us live, Congressman Brad Wenstrup. Congressman, thank you. You put this out into the fold. Uh, thank you for joining us. You put this out into the fold yesterday. Uh, just outline for us, sir, what are the allegations here that you think need to be looked into? Well, first of all, that's the, the correct word. You say they're allegations, and, and that they are. However, understand that when someone comes forward as a whistleblower and with whistleblower protections, that they are subject to the uh, opportunity for perjury if they're not telling the truth. So this whistleblower has been there a long time, is a senior person, and has come forward to both the Intelligence Committee and to the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic I'm on the Intelligence Committee, and I chair the, the other. So he came to us, and the allegations are, what he is saying is that there were six people, seven people altogether, that were on the, the COVID uh, discovery uh, team, the COVID discovery team for the CIA. And there were seven mm -hmm. people, and the senior was the only one who thought that, that it was zoonotic, in other words, from nature. The other six you know, felt that it came from the lab. This is what he is saying. And then he was saying is that they changed their mind and they came out collectively to say that we were unable to determine. So now what is being said by the whistleblower is that there was monetary exchange to the six to change their mind. I think one of the you're, big you're questions You're essentially saying gover why? government hush money. Why? Government CIA hush money is essentially what you're saying. Well... You, you, can, you can say it however you want, and that's what we're looking into. So we're seeking all the documents and the communications. Look, I have a good relationship with this current CIA director, and I don't know that this rose to his level, if it is indeed true, but that's what we need to find out. We are planning on calling in the former chief operating officer, uh, who was named, actually, as a ringleader, if you will, or someone very much involved with this whole process. So we, right. we have to go forward with this. But again, I want to go back to why is this even being done at all? Why in America we were not able to have this debate openly amongst many scientists, whether it came from the lab or whether it came from nature? I'm a physician. I started studying this three years ago, especially during the lockdown. And I'm on Intelligence Committee getting as much information as I can. So this yeah. has been really important to me. And I'm yeah, not no. coming to the same conclusions that a lot of other people are because I've seen a lot of evidence that maybe they're not seeing. So you, you've, you've seen this evidence. You've, you clearly felt comfortable enough to, to put it out there and to ask the CIA director about it. You mentioned, of course, you know, perjury is in play here if this person isn't telling the truth. Um, do you believe this whistleblower? I got to imagine you do if, no, you, I have, if you put it out here publicly. First, no, no, no. You, you're getting this wrong. And you're changing my words, unfortunately. What I said was, this is what no, the not, whistleblower has come forward and said. Yeah, well, 
just so you know, all, all that we have put out is what the allegations have been, and we're leaving it at that. But right now we're looking for the documents and the communications, and we're going to bring in people to try and get an understanding. I will tell you, the CIA takes this very seriously, and they should. We take it very seriously. We have an obligation to do oversight, and when a whistleblower comes forward using all of their protections, uh, they're taking a risk when they do that. And so we are obligated to follow up on that. And I think it's important. But think about what this whistleblower is saying. And then also think about what we have discovered in, in this whole process. You go back to 2020, Christopher, Christian Anderson, one of the scientists involved with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, he says, this thing looks engineered. And then Dr. Fauci puts together a team of scientists. We've gotten their internal documents where they say, well, we know that they're doing this type of research in Wuhan. And they're saying, you know, this highly looks like it could be engineered and, and from the lab. And yet, yeah. a few weeks later, they write pro proximal origins to say, well, definitively, it came from nature. Now, right. why are they doing that? Why are not they just opening this up for debate? So that's the Got other it. question in all of this. These allegations are serious, but at the same time, I keep asking, I why it. is anybody wanting to, to just not have the debate? Yeah, I, I got I to gotta leave it there. I didn't try to put uh, words in your mouth, obviously, Congressman, just trying to get a, a pulse of where you stand on things. Uh, you, you, you put this letter uh, forward yesterday. We wanted to talk about it, and thanks for coming on uh, to discuss it. We'll follow it. Hope you come on back, you Congressman bet. Wenstrup. Thank you. Um, okay. Morgan, you were over at the State Department, I believe, during the, yeah. the COVID years. Yeah. When, when you see this letter, you hear the congressman, um, you think what? Wondering what, what your initial So I have is. no clue about the CIA whistleblower. We'll see if it, the Congress will, you know, do what right. they do with whistleblowers. I will say in the Wuhan lab, we gave, I gave a briefing, an off-the-record briefing, to every major anchor in America. Now, News Nation wasn't around at the time, so we didn't have News Nation. <laughs> but we compiled open-source information, so that means stuff on the Internet. This wasn't intelligence. We had our Mandarin speakers compile, you know, something probably this big that was circumstantial evidence uh, that pointed to uh, the fact that we should, at a minimum, take very seriously uh, the Wuhan lab leak theory. Um, and I presented that. There was only one anchor that actually aired it. Two years later, all those other anchors came out um, and said basically that this, you know, was should have been taken as a legitimate theory. Uh, we never, I never went out as State Department spokesperson at the time and said this is absolutely what happened. But we knew, number one, that in every instance before the Chinese Communist Party starts out with a lie. Uh, they, you know, that's, you never sort of believe the first thing that they said. But we always thought that the theory should be taken seriously. The worst, one of the worst things about COVID happened during an election year is how things got so politicized, and especially this. And, and it's important to remember that the fire should be on the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. They still, to this day, have not allowed a single independent scientist or investigator in China uh, to determine the original origins of COVID, and that affects this pandemic and future pandemics. News Nation mm -hmm. wasn't there at that briefing then, but we've grown up fast. Yeah. Every <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Coming up, reporters and news organizations, speaking of the media, woke up to a message from the White House this morning. I woke up, I fired up my email and I saw it. The message essentially said, do your job better. The letter that hit our inbox as the president now faces an impeachment inquiry. And the president today was asked about all of this. It's coming up. So those of us who cover politics, the White House as well, woke up to an email today that came from the White House spokesperson who handles legal matters. One of the headlines in that email to basically all media here, memo to editorial leadership at U.S. news media organizations. The White House writing in that memo in bold, quote, it's time for the media to ramp up its scrutiny 
of House Republicans for opening an impeachment inquiry based on lies. News Nation's Chris Steyerwalt joining us now. Uh, Chris, I believe you're out in Chicago uh, for the uh, town hall tonight with the Vice President Mike Pence. Um, you know, we woke up to this, and the White House is basically telling reporters, do a better job. Is, 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 that, their, is that their role? Well, I mean, people got to say something. Uh, I, when <laughs> Donald Trump was getting impeached twice, uh, I'm sure that they did not have favorable uh, coverage for the press. And uh, we're big boys and big girls. We can handle uh, some reproof from uh, the embattled president who's struggling in his own party. And obviously, uh, Republicans aren't the only ones that benefit from making the press the enemy. Democrats have done it before. And voters don't hold us in particularly high esteem. So taking a swipe at the press uh, probably is good politics. Here was uh, the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, friend of the show, Alex Gangitano, in the White House press briefing earlier today. Asked her about it. Get your reaction. Uh, talk more on the other side. I'm going to leave that to the White House counsel uh, for my colleague who sent that, that uh, memo. Uh, just laid out really uh, kind of specifically as to how we see uh, this process has moved forward, how there is no evidence. Uh, it's not even coming from us. It's coming from Republicans uh, in, in, in Congress. We've been very clear about that. She got press, Chris. It was basically a no comment. What should their strategy be? Because they, they weren't on television yesterday. They didn't have a briefing. And then they fired off this email. I think if I, if I were a Democrat, uh, I would want as much attention on the Republicans and this impeachment uh, as possible. I think this is great for uh, the, the experience in, with impeachments in recent political history. Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, and I assume with Joe Biden. Uh, it's helpful to the incumbent being impeached. Uh, it makes the other side look bad. And I, I wouldn't want to interrupt the narrative. I'd want to say, get Marjorie Taylor Greene out there. Make sure that we're focusing on what Republicans are saying today, because that probably helps Joe Biden. Mick, uh, here's what I don't get about this. Maybe Chris can help me on this. I don't understand why they put it in writing. This wasn't aimed at the Fox Newses of the world that are right of center. It wasn't aimed at News Nation, which is right smack dab down the middle. This is aimed at the folks who lean left. Half the people who work there used to work for a Democrat administration anyway. Jen Psaki, for goodness sakes, works at MSNBC. Why not just pick up the phone and make the call? Why put it in writing? And they get clearly the intended to have it leak. And I, I'll say my job you know, press advance was to work with the networks on their coverage. And one of the things I was most proud about was that I could never direct them what to do because there is freedom of the press and it is critical. I didn't like during the Trump administration that there was more and more right wing funded by right wing organizations literally asking planted questions because I want all of our press to but be their skeptical. their credibility has gone down as a result of that. Yes. And the CBS's yeah. of the world, their credibility will go down because of this. I got to imagine yeah. they're not happy about this. I'd be curious to know if you heard anything today from your colleagues mm. from the other networks. Well, look, not from the other networks, but clearly this was brought up in the briefing room today, right? And as a, as a journalist, and those of us who are down the middle, you're not taking directions from the White House. No. Not yeah. when you're there, not when administration right. is there, you're, you're, you're doing your job. Well, Chris made a good point, which is the narrative is already where you want it to be. You're letting Marjorie Taylor Greene take front of center stage, Matt Gates take center stage. Why would you do something that interrupts that narrative? Because instead of talking about those things, we're talking about some memo that was idiotic to send out. All right, well, as we mentioned earlier in the show this afternoon, the uh, senator from Utah, Mitt Romney, announced he will not seek re-election next year. 
former Massachusetts governor, former Republican presidential nominee, says it is time for a new generation of leaders. I've spent my last 25 years in public service of one kind or another. At the end of another term, I'd be in my mid-80s. Frankly, it's time for a new generation of leaders. They're the ones that need to make the decisions that will shape the world they will be living in. Chris, is this about age and the discussion that we've been talking about for weeks into months and how Americans feel about older politicians? Or is this that Mitt Romney doesn't fit in Donald Trump's Republican Party? Both. I think both things can be, both things can be yeah. true. And, you know, good on Senator Romney. Uh, it's hard to step aside. We talk a lot about the struggle. And you mentioned David Ignatius in his piece uh, talking about Joe Biden and the fact that he should step aside. Leaving is hard. Uh, and I have no doubt that Mitt Romney could have won another term uh, as a senator from Utah. His decision not to does lead by example. But I'm here in Chicago tonight because we're going to have a town hall with former Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, and he's going to talk to an audience here and in Iowa about what he said was an unbridgeable divide inside the Republican Party and that populists are, ta- have, are taking over the Republican Party and they're unmoored from conservative principle. And it's time to go stand at that bridge and fight. And what Mitt Romney is acknowledging through this departure is that it's the other side. It's the J.D. Vance's who he calls out in one of his interviews departing. It's the Josh Hawley's. It's the Ted Cruz's and it's the Donald Trump's of the world who are in control of that party. And maybe there isn't room for them. And this is a stark discussion for Republicans to have right as their nominating process gets going. We'll hear tonight whether Mike Pence uh, can find a way to bridge that gap. We will talk later this evening. Chris, have fun in there in Chicago. We'll talk to you after the uh, the town hall. Mike Pence, Leland Vitter. Chris, thank you. Well, tonight, as uh, Chris mentioned, News Nation hosting an exclusive live town hall event with the former vice president, Mike Pence. We will have live audiences in Chicago, our headquarters, Des Moines, Iowa, as well. It starts at 9 o'clock Eastern, followed by a post-show at 10.30. Don't you go anywhere, Johanna. Don't you go anywhere, Morgan. We're, we're hanging out here for a little bit. We'll be breaking down the big moments from the town hall with our all-star panel and guests. Tune in right here on News Nation coming up later this evening. Still to come here on the Hill, they are shunned by the West, isolated by world leaders. But today, a rare summit between Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. So what do they talk about? What does it mean? That's coming up here on the Hill. Welcome back to The Hill here on News Nation. The North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, saying his country is opening its full and unconditional support to Russia. Kim and the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, embracing each other at a Russian spaceport for a rare one-on-one meeting earlier today. You see the two of them meeting there. Putin says the summit could lead to some military cooperation between the two countries. Morgan, former State Department spokesperson, uh, your take on this is what? Well, first, if you're an innocent Ukrainian who's being hit by one and killed by one of these munitions, you don't really care if the munition came from, you know, North Korea or for someone else. So there's a lot of talk about um, about how desperate this makes Putin look, that he has to so publicly align with North Korea. Um, and yes, that's true. But conversely, it will still help his munition supply. And I think that's for anybody who's watching the war in Ukraine uh, closely uh, and, and watching this counteroffensive. I, I, I do think no matter where they get it from, and even if they desperately have to get it, from North Korea, it's still not good for the it, Ukrainians, uh, from, for Ukrainian civilians. From a State Department intelligence yeah. perspective, is this a meeting that's notable, interesting, concerning, 
Or is this something that keeps you up at night kind of thing? Oh, I mean, listen, it's very concerning because remember, and you'll remember this, in the Trump administration in the first two years, Nikki Haley at the UN was able to negotiate uh, the toughest sanctions ever on North Korea. Russia and China at the time went uh, went along with those sanctions. Mm-hmm. So it makes it even tougher whenever you have Russia, China, and North Korea working together. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's noteworthy to me, but it's not the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. Keep in mind, North Korea can't give Russia that much. I mean, what would, they, right. what would Russia need at this point? Well, they need <clears throat> artillery and they need food, okay? South North Korea has a difficult time getting that for themselves. So it's noteworthy, but you sit there, there's a lot of other things that would keep me up. Both these leaders also are some of the most untrusting leaders. So (laughs) when I look at these pictures, I wonder, was it them or was it body doubles? These are also people who you never know. Seriously, do they trust each other? Oh, exactly. Like, they can't possibly trust each other, but it is. I I met all the the leaders in the last job. I don't know how you feel say, but Putin was the one, when he walked into the room, my skin crawled. So when I was at the, I, I was, was at the uh, Trump Putin in Helsinki in mm. the uh, you know when they met. Did you walk near a window or not? <laughs> no, I, I did not. No, but I was wondering. My gosh, if I get a question in, what might happen? Um, but yeah, you're right. Like when Vladimir Putin, four years of covering that White House, when Vladimir Putin walked into that the presidential palace there, I was like, I felt like he was it's icky. different. It's, yeah. And remember, we had Medvedev at first, and then we got Putin. And they even when they came to Camp David because we were trying to figure out the G8 whether they were going to actually come their advanced teams. It was like the same people, but their tone totally changed. It was so bizarre. All right, now turning back to the hill. Some of America's tech giants met today, uh, met with lawmakers today to discuss the rise of artificial intelligence. Those included Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and of course, Elon Musk, who highlighted the dangers of the technology. It's important for us to have um, a referee, just as you have a referee in a sports game uh, or all sports games, and that the games are better for it. The consequences of AI going wrong are, are severe. Um, so we have to be proactive rather than reactive. What's Congress going to do about this? What can they? Uh, they're going to mess it up. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, in my experience with Congress and technology, they are always so far behind the curve, and they also don't understand anything that they're generally regulating. Except Mick Mulvaney. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I remember the debacle that was SOPA back in the day when you, when you were yeah. there, Mick. It's like they are, they, they are always just so uh, far behind where the technology is, and, and they end up playing this game where they have to chase the, the consequences rather than try to prevent them, and I think that's what's going to end up happening with AI. Kurt's not wrong. They, they sort of got the Internet right, okay, because they sort of had took a hands-off approach, but the Internet was slow compared to AI. Yeah. They've got crypto wrong because that's going a little bit faster. They still can't respond to that, and now here AI is, and it's going even faster than crypto. So, yeah, they're going to they're gonna, – with everybody in an industry – from across the spectrum comes and begs you for some regulation. That means you know something. So this is, this is why I'm a Democrat and Mick is a Republican because I think we took the wrong hands-off approach with the internet and it took tons <laughs> of jobs. And the truth is, with with AI, when I watch these, you know, folks who stand to benefit economically testify before Congress, I think we're letting the inmates run the asylum. They're basically picking their referee. There are actually Europe has a number of people that they have artificial intelligence experts who are saying regulate the supply chain. And if you do that and do it smartly with people who don't stand to benefit economically, but so experts, we could actually get some control Here's something it. I came across. Chat2024.com. It's basically chat GPT, <laughs> but for... What are you doing in your free time? In my free time? <laughs> I'm trying to make this an interesting, fun, lively show. That's what I'm doing. Can we show it? Because your questions matter. It's basically chat GPT, but for presidential candidates, right? So you could kind of 
have a conversation generated via AI with some of these presidential candidates. And that brings up a whole nother question. Um, but we asked uh, this, this thing, should AI be regulated? And asked Joe Biden and asked Donald Trump, basically from the website. Uh, Joe Biden gave the, you know, the, the AI version of it scrape this answer. And then for Donald Trump, it said, it could be tremendous. It could be fantastic, but it could also be a disaster if it's not done right. So yes, we need to have some regulations in place to ensure that AI is used responsibly and ethically. It's the AI. Can the AI do that? Can the AI do the hand gestures? You can do the hand gestures. I don't know that the AI can. can. do that. That sounds a lot like, you know, Trump. You spent enough time around him, huh? Uh, But the AI, the AI candidacy is, and, and this is some of the worries, like, we now have this to deal with in yeah. presidential campaigns. Well, I watched a debate. It was it got very filthy, but it was uh, AI Biden versus AI Trump. It was they were yelling at each other with just absolutely filthy language. But they someone generated this and then had it for 24 hours where you could actually interact with them. Yeah. And I was going, this is wild. And well, this I was is what thinking, we have. why do you like? Will people go to the campaign websites or will they go to like the Chat GPT version of the young uh, people? The Chat GPT eventually will. Will they be able to tell the difference? Right. right. Oh, that is right. a big Completely question. Unprepared for what 2024 is going to have in terms of deep fakes, in terms of mm. videos, in terms of audio content. There's going yeah. to be stuff coming out where yeah. news yeah. networks are going to be running with something they think is real, and it turns out it was created by an AI. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up, 31 hours to go and still no deal. The head of the UAW just spoke a little while ago as a strike for the big three auto workers looms. We will tell you what he said and... No one in Michigan has a better read on this politically than the Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, and we will talk to her coming up here in minutes as The Hill on News Nation returns. Hours from now. Now, whether they can reach an agreement to avoid a strike as early as Friday, still unclear. The UAW president, Sean Fain, gave this update here a short time ago. The big three can afford to immediately give us our fair share. If they choose not to, then they're choosing to strike themselves, and we are not afraid to take action. The Democratic Congresswoman from Michigan, Debbie Dingell, is one of her state's most influential politicians, been so for a while now. She's talking to all parties involved in this dispute, and she joins us live. Congresswoman, thank you for being here uh, on the Hill on News Nation. I know you said yesterday that this was essentially a 50-50 coin flip as to whether or not this would be a strike. As we stand here uh, 30 hours away, how do you handicap it now? Look, I... I think there's a good chance that there could be a strike, but I've been around a long time and I know the toughest and nittiest gritty negotiations come down to the wire. And as you say, we've got approximately 30 hours left. And I I know that all the parties are prepared to work all night and into the hours tomorrow. So I hope everybody's listening to each other. I know how tough and difficult these negotiations are. You say all parties. Uh, obviously, there's the UAW, there's the big three automakers, but the White House and the president himself, as you know, Congresswoman, uh, are, are, have injected themselves and, and are involved in this. Um, what, is, what is the White House doing right now? And has the president done enough in your estimation? So first of all, I don't think you can say injected themselves. These negotiations are between the union 
and the companies, all of us, people like me who love my state, my, I'm a car girl, I love my workers, uh, I know how important and critical these are. The White House knows the impact that this could have on the economy, and I think the whole country is going to be reminded once again about how the American auto industry is the backbone of the American economy. I think that there have been many discussions that the president has talk to each of the CEOs and urge them to be at the table working in good faith to find a solution. I know he's talked to the president Bain uh, several times. And in the end, this has got to get done at that negotiating table between those partners. What do you make of what Sean Fain, he was doing a, a Facebook Live, I believe, uh, this hour said, we may strike all three at once. If uh, there's no deal by midnight uh, tomorrow night, we will strike. We will not strike all of our facilities at once. But he's basically saying they'll go after all the companies and it'll be targeted. I have been very clear with people because the president, Bain, has been very clear with me and those that would listen that this would not be or foul what we have seen before in the typical auto negotiations, that there would not be one target, that he was going to target all three companies and that anybody who does not have an agreement in by tomorrow night, that it wasn't midnight tomorrow night, 1159, isn't just a reference point. It is a hard date. And he will target all three companies if they have not reached agreement with them. That is real. And I have known that and have said to people, yeah. listen to him. He means it. Know your state well, Congresswoman. Uh, lived there for four years. Um, and, and when you're in Michigan, you're in Ohio, you know just how important the auto industry is. You, you talked about the economic impact. I'm wondering if you can explain if there is a strike what you fear the economic impact will be? Well, first of all, I'm going to have people that I care about, people I know, people that are my neighbors that are working in what we call the OEMs, GM, Ford, or Stellantis plants, are immediately going to be on picket lines and making $500 a week instead of their uh, normal salary. But we have a supplier industry that also uh, is quite frankly, been in fragile condition for a while, whose liquidity is often closer than people realize. And the supplier industry is going to immediately uh, be impacted. And then in the, the communities that these plants are in, that people work in and live, the diners, the, the different stores, this has a a, a, a trickle down impact very, very quickly. And unfortunately, it is a reminder to people of how important manufacturing- I got I to run, but can you put a dollar figure on it? I'm not going to, I'm not an economist. It'll have serious consequences. Got it. All right. Um, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, uh, we appreciate the time. I, it is clearly the big story uh, in your state and in that part of the country as well. We appreciate you taking out the time to talk, talk with us. Hope you come Thank on back. Thank you, Congresswoman. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I heard Sean Fain there in that soundbite use the term fair share. I've it, heard, yeah, I've heard, that, heard that too. Two takeaways from that. Yep. I mean, I know Debbie a little bit, don't know her well, but th that was the first time I heard those two tones. That was a very aggressive tone from the union boss and a very, very 
almost a press tone from Congressman McDaniel. To me, that says that this thing is real and they're going to strike. But the more surprising thing was when she said that, you know, she talked about President Biden not injecting himself in the process. Just last week, he's telling us on Labor Day that he was the most pro-union president ever. If he's not going to get involved here... Where is he going to get involved? Well, he, she said there that he's speaking to the CEOs. Last last uh, month, he put out a statement on the month anniversary. So I don't, I don't know if you take exception with the word ejected, but clearly he's in, involved and in the middle of all this. Well, and California, we've had a strike for a very long time. It's also affecting our economy. And we should know, Michigan could be pushed into a recession by this. California, we're facing a long strike. It will have an effect on our economy. Gavin Newsom said that he could be part of those negotiations. And so far, we haven't necessarily seen that. And there are a lot of families who are really hurting who want him to be part. We need to see an increase in these wages. In California, we just actually did see um, SEIU just won. They got $20 an hour for fast food workers. But we also need to see this resolve quickly so that the economy keeps working for the Biden administration. This is dangerous territory for President Biden because of the conversation we had earlier on the show about the economy, about how people Mm, perceive the economy. Listen, saying words like core inflation isn't going to help people feel good about these strikes going on. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd also be a big test for the Michigan governor. I just blanked on her name. Whitmer. Whitmer, Whitmer. thank you. Who I think is a very talented politician. She was able to flip uh, the state Senate for the Democrats. So as much as people are saying this is a test for Biden, it is a big test for her. It was interesting that you picked up on the tone, too. And if you were watching any sort of football over the weekend, the commercials from Ford, in which they were just basically, not everywhere, but it was all over the place, right, these Ford commercials, It, it makes you wonder... What's going on behind closed doors? I got to run. But my, my question is this, yeah. not now, is there going to be a strike? It's how long is it going to last? At yeah. this point, and you got to wonder if that is indeed the case. All right, well, Elizabeth Vargas reports is just minutes away. And tonight, Elizabeth will dig into the dramatic conclusion of the Pennsylvania manhunt for the escaped prisoner there, Danilo Cavalcante. That is less than uh, 10 minutes away, uh, seven minutes from now here on News Nation. But before we go, fans of Skittles, can still taste the rainbow out in Johanna's home state. Sweet treat that survives a California crackdown. But other popular snacks aren't so lucky. We'll explain. Tonight, only on News Nation, former Vice President Mike Pence makes his case to all America. Taking your questions live in a News Nation town hall. The News Nation town hall. Mike Pence live tonight at 9, 8 central on News Nation. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's a headline that caught our eye. It comes from our friends over at KTLA. The headline, Skittles Spared from California Food Additive Ban. Uh, This is an assembly bill in your home state of California. (laughs) You know, I'm glad we're looking at the foods that our kids are eating, but I'm also just happy that Californians are not talking about, you know, eating these foods nude because the story that that, uh, caught my eye, Legitimately, okay. there was like a nudie foodie party in this Los Angeles. This is your I'm state. not if even you kidding. Want to go down and that I, road, I I'll read it and I was here. like, Where I was do we like, go from there? this I don't is know. this is this is know. California people. <laughs> We're banning so everything. This assembly bill, Gavin Newsom has to sign it now. It used to include titanium dioxide. Uh, that's the Skittles product, but now it's outlawing other things like potassium bromine, all that. Just, I'm sorry, I want to talk about the nudie foodie party. I mean, it was... They they legitimately had a foodie party where they required everyone to take off their clothes and Uh, go in. It was in L.A. What if you spill the hot I mean, right? There's the most surprising part of that story. (laughs) Which is? It was in California. Yeah. (laughs) See, I'm a SoCal... I'm a San Diegan. Let me tell you something. This is why the rest of the country looks at Californians go like, they're crazy. That's right. Thank you, Johanna. We appreciate it.
Nick, Morgan, Kurt, thank you. We'll be back later tonight after the town hall, by the way. Uh, Of course, Leland Vitter will be sitting down with Mike Pence, 9 o'clock Eastern here on News Nation for a town hall. You'll want to watch Leland and the former vice president then. Until then, Elizabeth Vargas and Elizabeth Vargas Reports starts right now. I just had to talk about the new They got him 14 days after a convicted killer escaped from prison. He's back behind bars tonight, ending a tense manhunt that spans.